The Rush of the Morning Chaos at the Office Constant Notifications Loneliness and Despair The Distraction of Our Devices Conflict and Division Panic Stress of the Day-to-Day The Demands of Those Around Us All This Mess Anybody heard who's in the Super Bowl? How about them Chiefs? I hope you are planning a Super Bowl party. I mean, it was literally the application of the message last week, right? You can't get any better than that. Invite some people over, live out some Jesus follower hospitality, because this opportunity doesn't happen every year. Just three out of every four years, right? Isn't that crazy? Y'all realize how spoiled we are that the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for three out of the last four years. But this NFL season, I think, will always be remembered as unique because of Jamar Hamlin's story. Uh, The young man who stopped breathing on the field For days, no one knew what the outcome would be, and thankfully, not only has he survived, but he continues to recover. But during that time of uncertainty, some interesting things took place. I I watched the next week at every NFL game, both teams met at midfield before the game began to pray. And they didn't call it a moment of silence. You know all those semantics that get played. You know what they called it? Prayer. I I watched an ESPN commentator, like a major ESPN commentator, pray live on air. He said, we talk about praying for, you know, Jamar, but I I just feel led. And he just, he prayed. And then there was Hamlin's charity that he had started with a goal of raising, I think it was 2,500 bucks. And last I checked, it was like 9 million? In that time of uncertainty and need, I saw prayer and generosity. Here's the point that I want to take us to today. Praying in times of need is exactly what we should do. But you don't want to settle for only those times of praying. Because prayer is so much bigger if you only pray when you think you are in need, you are missing an amazing life. Likewise, where I want to focus today is that giving in times of need is exactly what we should do. But you don't want to settle Forgiving only in those times that you perceive need. I'm telling you, generosity is so much bigger 
if you only give in response to need, you are missing an amazing life. So that's what I want to show you today in this final week of a talk series that we chose to call The Blessing of Less. The Blessing of Less. What if the teaching today could lead you to the blessing of being less consumed with what you think you need to have to be happy? And if you're a Christian, this is especially big because you know that being self-consumed is the opposite of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. There is blessing in less of self. The Apostle Paul reminded us in Acts chapter 20 of something that Jesus said. Here's, here's how it reads. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, there is more joy, there is more happiness when you give rather than when you take. So welcome. I am truly glad that you are here today. Thank you for taking the time to join us wherever that may be. And I'm expressing to you that it is good to be sharing with you again. And you know what I'm thankful for? Your prayers and your generosity. That's what I'm thankful for. And I'm saying don't stop praying. We got two little boys in the same Nick you, two little heart of life boys that need to get home. Graham and Memphis, they both need to get home. Now, Memphis has a month head start on Graham. Memphis is a couple of uh, months old. Graham's just one month old, but Graham got a four pound head start on Memphis, all right? <laughs> so I'm saying keep praying because both of those heart of life boys need to come home. Our family is simply walking this forward together. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to walk that out together without a bigger family with us. I'm just going to tell you, what I do is very public. And so I feel like I just need to kind of give you a heads up. I mean, right now, I am walking this thing out with what I call unpredictable emotion. It just happens. Everything makes me miss her right now. We just sang a song called A Thousand Names. Um, I can still see the moment that Whitney came to me and she said, Dad, we're a couple of months out from Secret Church. Secret Church is about who God is. We're going to do all those names. She said, have you heard this song that's called A Thousand Names? We should make that the song for Secret Church. So everything right now just kind of sends my heart there. And you know this about me. When I'm happy, like when I see supernatural things that God does, when I see beauty, I cry. I'm an emotional person that way. Well, now, like not only do I continue to do that when I see beautiful things, but I'm also wrestling with this sorrow thing. So happy, sad, I'm dehydrated, all right? I am. I am dehydrated right now just all the time. So if you talk to me and I'm crying, please know if you weren't talking to me, I would still probably be crying. So keep talking to me. Just keep talking to me. And thank you for your patience.
Here's what I want to talk to us about today, but really it's what I want for us today. That we would choose to live generous. That we would choose to live generous. Now, I know. I know that a verb should be accompanied by an adverb. All right? That's the way it works. It actually should read live generously. That's one day in English that I paid attention to. All right? Live generously. So why am I saying it this way? It's because today I want to contrast our tendency to be generous with what it means to live generous. They are not the same. Just because we choose to be generous, maybe in a, a random act of, uh, of giving, like, you know, Jamar Hamlin's charity, it does not guarantee that we live generous. It's like if I ask you, are you a good person? And the way you answer the question is, you would tell me something good that you did. Okay. But don't we realize that using one example to define a life is not really a strong evidence, right? Or it's like when you say that your spouse is not doing something that you wish they would do, all right? Uh, but then they can always point to a time when they actually have done what you say they are not doing, right? What do you mean I don't help with the kids? Two weeks ago, I, and you say, exactly. That was a random act. You, you don't actually help me with the kids. You can be helpful with the kids, but not live helpful with the kids. I'm saying we can be generous, but not live generous. So let's start here. Here's what I want you to see. Live generous is bigger than responding to an ask. What I mean by that is somebody asks for help, you see it as a need, and we go, okay, I'm just going to give to that. Live generous is bigger than just responding to an ask. Sometimes I think we tell ourselves, hey, I'm generous because I give spontaneously. Can I tell you that that doesn't guarantee that you're generous? It may just mean you're spontaneous. Now, I'm not saying that responding to an ask is always wrong. Two weeks from tonight, we will be gathered in this room hosting what is called the Project Nick Gala. We've been doing this for several years. We will stream it live from this room in Garden City. And so we are encouraging, if you want to join us here, we're going to throw a party to do this. But we also encourage you to maybe invite some people to your home. Right? We're going to stream it. You could have people in your home. It's another chance to practice that hospitality. But when we get together two weeks from tonight, we are going to push you to be generous. It's for a great cause. We provide food, clothes, shelter, education, and a communication of the love of Jesus to more than 250, 275 kids, orphans in five countries around the world. That's what we do. And so I love to motivate people to give to good causes, and Project Nick is one of those. So two weeks from tonight, we're going to move you to see the need, to feel the need, and hopefully to give toward that need, and we have a whole lot of fun doing it. That's not bad. 
But to live generous is even bigger than just responding to an ask at the Project Nick Gala. So maybe this is the point where you would say to me, okay, Jeff, I'm, I'm cool with living generous. Like, I, I'll live generous, but I need to tell you up front, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. And I'm going to say we can all be thankful because live generous has nothing to do with being rich. In fact, live generous is not about an amount. It's not. To live generous is not determined by the amount that we give because an amount can either seem big or small to someone. What seems big to to some of us might be what somebody else is going to spend on dinner tonight, right? There's a story of Jesus that is associated with this. One day he and his disciples are at the temple And there was some type of container there where as people passed by, they would leave their offering, they would drop money into the container. Not sure if it was a temple tax or a tithe or maybe all the above, but Jesus is watching this happen. And Luke records the story, Luke chapter 21, verse 2, it says this, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow who in two very, put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in, what's the word? More. She has put in more than all the others. Those little copper coins have come to be called a widow's mite. That's what they're called. It's just very small shards of copper, very little value. The question is, how could she put in more? And I'm telling you, it's because God is not impressed with amount. He is impressed with percentage. That's the way I would say it. The rich, he watched them give out of their wealth. But Jesus said in her poverty, she gave all that she had. It's not about amount. Rich does not mean generous. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. And often poor people are far more generous, to be honest. The reason? Because they are not trying even to save their way out of poverty. They're just trying to survive. And when you find yourself in that kind of setting, you are quick to help one another survive, hoping that the reciprocal would happen if you need it. So summary, live generous. It's bigger than responding to an ask, and it's not about an amount. Well, what is it then? What is this live generous? Let's build a statement, all right? Let's start with this. Generous living involves planning to give. Planning to give. You got to have a plan. I'm just telling you, if you don't, you won't. You may give if you are asked. You may be generous spontaneously, but that's going to be the limit. And in reality, you at heart are still going to fight against this consumer self mentality. Without a plan, it is impossible to live generous. Long time ago, um, I think it was uh, Ron Blue, he had some 
teaching on financial uh, stewardship, that sort of thing. And, and he, he would challenge people to think about the, the five things that you can do with your money, all right? And this was the list. You can spend it, repay debt, pay taxes, save it, and give it. And so if we translate that list, spend it, that's on me, all right? And there are things that have to be bought, all right? Repay debt, that's also me because I've already bought something that I didn't have, right, the funds to actually buy it yet. Pay taxes, that's the government. Save it, okay, that's back to me. And then give it would be others. Did you get that flow? Me, me, government, me, others. And his point was, if giving is the last thing that we do on the list, then we're not actually generous. We're not. It's a whole lot of me first. And come on, I'm telling you this. If you are a Jesus follower, you can't live this way. You can't. Because this is not what Jesus looks like. And so if you follow him and if you are doing what he does, you can't live this way. Now, come on. I know you might be offended by a statement like that, and I am promising you with all of my heart that I am not trying to offend, but I'm saying we got to read the Bible and read Jesus' story. And Jesus puts others first just like he put you first. His kingdom has to be first in our life, and that includes our finances. And if you live me first long enough as a Christian, eventually you are a hypocrite. You just are. Because this is the way it works in life. Some point, me first, I'm running my plan, but there's a financial bump. Somehow you you either lose your job, right? Something happens, you can't work. There are unexpected expenses. And when that happens in our lives, what do we do? What do we do? We go to our knees and we say, God, help us. God, I'm asking you to step into my finances. And I only imagine how God looks when he goes, Now you want me? Now you want me? Now again, you should pray when you encounter financial bumps. You should. But the point is, don't wait for the bumps to listen to God for what you should do with your finances. Don't wait for them. From the beginning, do what he says. Don't treat your Savior as only a helper and not a king. He's the king. Follow him. You can flip the order of how you use the resources that you have by having a plan. This is what was modeled by the churches that the Apostle Paul started. We can read it in the Bible. I'm going to show you one, the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says in verse 1, Now about the collection of the Lord's people, 
do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he's telling the church at Corinth, do this. He's saying the churches in Galatia have already practiced this. What is it that they do? On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. So the scenario is we got people who need help and others who can provide that help. But how did they do it? A plan. They pre-decided they developed this habit that at the beginning of each week, they didn't just wait to see how things worked. They, 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 they didn't just wait to see what was left. There was a saying, they, they were saying, look, we're going we're gonna to first go, we're going to help. They flipped the script to where they put generosity in a first place instead of themselves. Starts with a plan. Let's continue reading. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So, if we're going to build on our statement, this is how I would build on our statement, all right? Generous living involves planning to give a percentage of your income. Now, notice it starts with income. So, that means if you don't have any income, come on, quit playing a guilt game. There's no pressure. God's not not playing that game with you. But out of the income that God has given you the ability to make, he's saying, I want you to start with a percentage that reaches outside of yourself that you will be generous and bless others. And that principle has always been the principle that God taught his people from the very beginning. Way back in the Old Testament, we read about a word called a tithe. It means a tenth, as in 10%. God's always been about a percentage. And he's saying, whatever I have blessed you with, I want you to give a percentage of that. Then when Jesus arrives, you don't hear the word tithe so much because this suddenly becomes bigger than a law. This is not just a a command. It becomes about a heart of grace where the charge is follow Jesus, watch how he lives this out, and then you excel in generosity just like you see Jesus to. You give a sum in keeping with your income. This is what Jesus was applauding with the widow who gave at the temple. So no matter how much you make, a plan and a percentage puts the fun in giving. And so if you ask me, Jeff, what percentage should I give? This is my advice. Ask God. Ask God. And then start there. And then expect if you follow him, he's going to grow you in that generosity. Because the more you choose to join God in his purposes, the more you will want to join God in his purposes. Let's finish our definition. Generous living involves planning to give a percentage of your income for the purpose of trusting God and blessing others. We don't wait to be asked to give. We go ahead and look at what matters to God, and then we act on that, deciding ahead of time, this is what we're going to do. You can still give spontaneously. There are going to be moments that things arise. You can still do that, but it's an add-on. 
because you've already established this principle in your life. And so sometimes people may ask you, and you can even say, no, I can't do that, and not feel guilty, but it's because you have already decided, hey, this is, this is how we believe God's purposes connect to what we give. So what's those purposes? It's trusting him. It's trusting him. When I take the first of all that he has given me and I'm willing to release that first, I'm, I'm saying I'm trusting him. We'll come back to that. But it's also blessing others. And you say, well, there's a lot of people in this world that need blessing. There's a lot of people that need help. How do I know where to give? This is the way I would answer that. Give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. Give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. What am I grateful for? What are the things that have blessed you? You want to know what's at the top of this guy's list? God's church. I am grateful for God's church. And because of that gratefulness, that's a part of what has always stirred my heart, the desire for generosity, for giving to be to his church. We say, well, I, Jeff, like, I don't know if the church needs it. It does. It does. So let me just go here with you, all right? Last year as a church, we finished the year some $60,000 under what we needed to operate. That's where we finished. Now, I've been, had the privilege of being pastor here for the last 23 years, and I don't ever remember a time that by the end of the year, we didn't have enough, that enough wasn't given to take care of what we needed to do. So one out of 23 means I'm not panicking. And I can assure you that leaders across Heart of Life are not panicking. But the point is, come on, we can't, we can't, like, we can't always do that. And so I know that economy plays a part. It just does, right? When, when you have an omelet and it feels like you're, you're eating a five-star meal because of how much eggs cost you right now, right? It, it just plays a part when stuff costs more than it does, than it did. And, and I know a lot of folks, that's, that's part of the struggle. But with all of that, here's what I believe when I read Scripture. God resources his mission and he designs us to be a part of that plan. And come on, God has assembled enough of us as a part of his local church as heart of life that if we act on the design that God has given us together, we can, we can act on the miracle. We can. So honestly, this is not at the top of the list on things on my heart right now. It's not. 
I am not teaching this to you today because this topic is on the top of my list of what's on my heart right now. I'm teaching it to you because of need. I was scheduled to give this talk, at least a version of it, three weeks ago. So that maybe we could start the year off on the right foot, you know? And on that day, my world changed dramatically. Where I am currently standing, money means less to me than it ever has. I certainly would give all the money that I've ever had for what I could no longer have. Trusting God with my finances right now seems so simple compared to trusting him with my family. My goal is not to get your money. My goal is that I care about carrying out the mission of Jesus when for all of us, our time is like a vapor. My goal is not to get your money. It is to care about you and your kids and your grandkids and that your hearts would truly be right with God because this life is short and then there really is heaven or hell. When I came here 23 years ago, one of the things at the top of my list was to create an atmosphere where kids would love the local church, where kids would love to hang out, where they would feel an atmosphere of joy because Jesus brings joy. Whitney was one of those kids. And we used to joke about the fact that if she could live at church and not wear shoes, she would be just fine. Now, she is in heaven. And the reason she is there is because within an atmosphere of joy and family, she developed a real relationship with Jesus that continues to grow to this day. I want that for your babies. I want that for your grandkids. So when we talk money and finances around here, don't be mistaken. It is all about wanting to point people to how beautiful Jesus is, creating atmospheres like for kids, man, where they come to know who he truly is because there will come a day where you will say, I would have spent all the money that I ever had for that to be 
true. The mission of Jesus has been given to the local church. And I am grateful to be a part of a church that has chosen to pick up that mission and run with it. Our budget is not fluff. It's about Jesus, his family, and his mission. So when you answer the question, what breaks your heart? Like, what is it, what's the stuff that breaks your heart? And people start listening. It's the homeless. It's the widow. It's the orphan. It's the oppressed. It's the traffic. Well, guess what? That's what we do. That's what heart of life is about. The question today is a simple ask of will you join us in supporting this mission? There are some burdens that we have no control over. Some of them literally come in the middle of the night, and we cannot avoid them. But there are other burdens that can be avoided. And right now for Heart of Life, if we as the church together, like all of us that God has brought together, if every household planning a percentage that we together, generous for the purposes of God, then one burden that I nor you would have to carry right now is the financial burden for the church that God has given a great mission and he desires to continue. Heart of Life is living that mission. And if this is your church, then will you join us in stepping that forward? But see, I wish I could get this across clearly, that Heart of Life's need is not even the most powerful reason that I would give you to give to the mission today. It's not. I would say that even if your local church doesn't need it, and by the way, if like you're a guest here today, I'm sorry. You know what? Actually, I'm not. Actually, I'm not. Because this is, this is like about life bigger than self. This is a this is about like what it really looks like when you follow Jesus and he suddenly turns your heart to something bigger. So maybe you've got a local church somewhere that, that you're a part of. If your local church doesn't need it, I would say to you, you still should give it because it's bigger than the need. It's about your heart. It's about your heart that one day stands face to face with Jesus. And the blessing of less of self and more of Jesus and his family and his mission. Man, if the local church has been instrumental in your family meeting Jesus, if the local church has been instrumental in you and your kids growing in Jesus, if together the local church has allowed your family the opportunity to impact the world around you for Jesus, then there should be a heart of gratitude that you would support that mission. And I would be so bold to say, even if you're not a Christian, okay, even if you're not a Christian yet, maybe you don't follow Jesus yet, pr I promise you, you don't want the local church's influence to leave your community. You don't. But if I belong to a church and I don't give out of the income that God has blessed me with, and come on, it's... It's a heart that reflects an ungratefulness, and that's the bigger issue than the need. And I know, we got our little sayings. It's like, what? but I'm grateful in my heart. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that nobody cares if you're grateful in your heart? Your spouse doesn't care if you're grateful in your heart if your gratefulness doesn't overflow to a love toward them in action. 
Your kids don't care about a gratefulness in your heart. Your friends don't care about a gratefulness in your heart. Your community, a hurting community, does not care about a gratefulness in our heart. Love involves your heart in action. A plan and a percentage toward the purposes of God that allows you to continually see your heart in action. Again, man, I'm begging you to believe me. I am not trying to be mean today. But if you don't live others first, you cannot say that you're following Jesus. You can't. So here's how most people handle their finances. It looks like this. Live, save, and give. And can I tell you that all those are important. All those are biblical. The Bible says you ought to work so that you have resources because you got to buy food, you got to buy clothes. Like, you got to do that. The Bible says you should save. It's an important principle because there are going to be some little surprises that come along in life. You should save. But can I also admit to you that it feels like every decade of ministry that passes for me, my philosophy on saving has changed. And I will always tell you, you should save because it's a biblical principle. But there comes a point where the question needs to be asked. How much? Because what are you saving for? And who are you going to enjoy that with? Man, one of the things I'm forever grateful for is something that my parents first modeled for our family, and now we are trying to model as our family continues to grow. We save. We try to save. God calls us to do that. But you know what else we like to do? We like things like vacation. And quite honestly, you can save money for the rest of your life for some day that, right, you retire and but it's like, who are you going to enjoy that with? When little Graham was born a month ago, and Theo, who is our three-year-old grandson, got word that, that, that Graham had entered the world, one of the first things that Theo said was, yeah, now Graham can go on vacation with us. Just don't underestimate it. Save. But what are you saving all that for? And then give. But here's what I'm telling you. Live generous reverses the order. Live generous turns that upside down. Live generous starts with give, and suddenly there's a joy. Why is there a joy? Because it's not about me. Suddenly, I am looking outside of myself. Jesus said it. It's true. You are happier when you give. You are more joyful when you give. Suddenly, when you save, there is a peace because you are actually being responsible. There, there are going to be some things that you wish you would have saved for, some things you can take care of. It gives you a, a, a more of a peace of mind. And, and, and yet when you live, there is a freedom because you are free from the consumption and the comparison mentality that if I just had this, then I'd be happy. Don't be mistaken today. What I'm teaching you is not a give-to-get mentality. This is not if you give to God, then he gives you more. Stop it. You live in the United States of America, and no matter what your economic level may be, you already have an extraordinary life compared to the rest of the world. Let's don't play give to get. 
This is about giving because you have been given. So last question, what is it that holds you back? Is it that you worry about having enough? Like if you give first, are you gonna have enough? Do you realize that that's a part of the purpose for which God designed this whole generosity thing to work? To remind us that our trust is not in our wealth. Our trust is in the God who provides for us. It all belongs to him. He owes us nothing, and yet he has given to us. In December, we had the privilege of presenting um, two different opportunities for people to hear the, the Christmas story. That was so much fun to be able to do together. And in both of those instances, we used uh, animals. Animals were a part of it, right? And it was sort of a live nativity uh, kind of set up, tons of fun. And it was there that I met Jeremy, right? And just in case you didn't get the chance to meet Jeremy, I thought that we would just do a quick introduction um, before we move on, okay? What's up? This is Jeremy. Everybody say hi to Jeremy. <laughs> hey, buddy. How you doing? How you doing? That's Jeremy. All right? I remember standing at the square watching people pour cups of food into their hand and reach out and Jeremy just gulp, right? Handful after handful of food. And when I saw that, my mind immediately went to Matthew chapter 6. It's just a weird thing preachers do, all right? My mind went to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, it reads like this, look at the birds of the air. But on that day, that's not what I thought. I did not think, look at the birds of the air. I thought, look at the camels on the square. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And I'm sitting there looking at this camel, Jeremy. He doesn't sow or reap or store away food. And I'm thinking, what a marvelous way for God to feed him in the middle of the United States where camels are not common, crazy people will line up with cups of food and a handful at a time, God will fill this camel's belly. Listen to Jesus' question. Are you not much more valuable One week later, I was standing at the same spot at the vault where Jeremy had been fed one week earlier. In that week's span, it had rained, and a street sweeper had passed by. And yet, as I stood just inside the window of the vault, and I looked out to where Jeremy stood a week earlier. This is what I saw. 
heart swelled. I probably cried. It's what I do. And I thought of all the ways that God can feed the birds. I never dreamed it would include some leftover camel food from a church live nativity scene a week earlier. Why would I ever wonder if God can take care of me? Why would I ever wonder if God would be enough for my family? Why would I wonder if I believe God and and if I choose first to be generous instead of it being about me, why would I ever wonder? Are you not much more valuable than they? And the cross of Jesus screams, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Let's pray. God, I am grateful for your grace. I'm grateful for the chance to stand in front of these people that I love very much. And God, share from you. I'm grateful that you give me the the chance and the ability to do that today. And, And God, I'm grateful for your grace upon us as a church. And how for year after year after year, God, not only have you given us amazing pictures of the mission, amazing places that you allow us to go, amazing um, amazing movements that you start within us, even here at home. God, you, you have just, God, year after year, you continue to pour out your grace and not only, God, giving us eyes to see the mission, but, but also, God, your graciousness to supply what is needed. So today, God, that's what I'm asking. God, that you would continue to supply for your church. But, oh, God, bigger. God, that out of these days, you would make us people whose hearts live generous. God, what I have experienced from these, your people, over these last weeks, God, they got it. God, would you grow that into something that would be known far and wide where your grace has touched the heart of a people and they bless people? God, would you do that in us? Would you do that in us? time you feed the camels you feed the birds will you give us faith to trust God that you see us valuable we are yours may we rest in such grace it's in the name of Jesus that I thank you today